Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, yeah, I am, what's the word I want to use here? Because I don't want to minimize the excitement that I feel about my guest today. I am thrilled, and I guess it's you know, just simple word. I am absolutely thrilled to have Mark Goldstone uh, on the show with us today. And you're going to absolutely be blown away by who this man is, what he brings to the table, and the insight that he provides. Yeah, if, if there's one word that, not one word, but one way to describe what Mark is, and I will get into his CV a little bit here, just in the course of the conversation, but he deconstructs genius. And that, I think, is, is just an amazing gift to bring into the world. Yeah, he did a one-man show that um, was called uh, Thinking Like Steve Jobs, and he, you know, toured nationally on this thing, uh, and uh, the deconstruction of genius is something as a practicing uh, clinical psychologist, you know, he was absolutely masterful at. Uh, suicide prevention specialist, and you know, how do you measure that, that uh, success in that field? He, none of his patients ever killed themselves. So uh, this is a good thing in terms of success. So there's, how do you do that? Well, you get into the world of the person that you're working with. So uh, that's what I want to play with a little bit here today. The soul of business. How do you get into the world of the soul of your business so that you can actually manifest it in much, you know, much grander ways yeah, over time? So, Mark, I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, we've got about 30 minutes here, which is not going to be anywhere close to the amount of time I want. Um, but I'm going to have you come back again later. <laughs> You're just going to cue that up. Uh, so this is part one of maybe a series. Anyway, Mark Golston, welcome to the show. Well, I'm glad to be here. And, you know, as my late mentor, Warren Bennis, used to say when people said nice things about him, he said, you know, it gives you something to live up to. <laughs> well, you're not only living up to it, you're living from it, in my experience. And, and I've had the very uh, distinct pleasure and honor of being on your show. Um, and uh, we've known each other for a while, but you know, that, that relationship is quickening a bit here. And I'm very, very pleased for that. Um, yeah, I don't really even know where to start here, but I think the opening is going to be just that notion of deconstructing genius. Um, how do you, you know, talk a little bit about that rather than me doing a whole preamble on it. Just talk a little bit about that. What does that mean for you and why is that important for you? Well, what I discovered is when you can let go of an agenda, which is very difficult to do, but when you can let go of an agenda and totally tune in to where your client, your customer, your investor, talent you're trying to uh, seek out, and you can tune in to them completely without any agenda, they will pick up your curiosity. So I'll share an anecdote. I, I spoke in Russia along with a fellow named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, Nobel Prize winner. And we headlined because a bunch of my books seemed to do well in Russia. And the title of my talk was Change Everything You Know About Communication. And what I said to the thousand Russian managers, leaders, I don't know, I guess some are entrepreneurs if they're not thrown in prison, uh, <laughs> is I, and so see if you can picture this. And they're hearing my tone, but they're hearing me in Russian, but they hear my tone. And I look at them and I say, if I focus on what you're listening to, you're listening to me. And if I give you some bullet points, you'll write them down 
And most of them won't work because you'll say, well, I'm, I'm not him. They'll work for him. You'll try a few of them. Some of them will work. And if I'm entertaining and give you good stories, you'll give me your mind for an hour. And then I switched to my FM NPR voice, my tone. And I said, but if instead of focusing on what you're listening to, I focus on what you're listening for and I get it right and I deliver it without you telling me, you'll give me everything. And I said, here are the things I think you're listening for. And what's the purpose of this? If you're listening in, if you can focus on what your customers, clients, investors, talent you're trying to attract are listening for, they're always listening for something. So here's the example I use with them. I said, if you're a man managers, leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, you're listening for something that will get you better measurable results because that's how you make more money and you get a raise. Is that true? Da. Secondly, you're listening for how to get those results that's less stressful because the way you're doing it now, you're all drinking too much or eating too much or people are doing the same. It's a real mess. So you're listening for that too. Is that true? And they go, da. And I said, and here's what you're listening most for. You're listening for something that is immediately doable by you that you don't have to buy a book. I haven't written this book yet. I don't know if I'll ever write this book, and, but it's doable by you. You don't have to be a psychologist and you don't have to uh, take a course because there's no course, there's no upsell. And if I can give you something that's immediately doable by you that you can use right out of the gate that gets you better measurable results with less stress, it will be worth the more than 500 US dollars in a day of your time to come here today. Is that true? And they go, da, da. I said, sit down, sit down, sit down, calm down. But the point is, people are always listening for something. So right out of the gate, here's what I'm going to share something with you because I've been speaking to accelerated groups, the early stage companies. And I was talking to them about pitching to investors. And I, and I said to them, uh, you know, have you ever been in one of those situations where you're pitching to an investor and they're smiling like this and you think it's a yes. But what you're learning is the smiling is they're being polite because they've already checked out and they don't want to be rude and get up and say, okay, this isn't going to work for me. So they're smiling. And initially you think it's going to go well, but it doesn't. So have you ever been in that situation? And they say, yes. And I say, so here is the exact script that you use. And you might want to write it down. And if you're listening to this or watching this, you might want to write it down too. Is when they're smiling, they're smiling to be polite. But what's happened is they've already disengaged. And, uh, and so this is what you say to them. You say, can we pause for a moment? They're immediately going to get sort of upset. Like you caught them. You caught them sleeping in the back of the room. And they're going to go, what? Yeah, can we pause for a minute? And then you say, yeah. And then this is exactly what you say. I just put myself in your shoes and I just replayed our conversation up till now. And it started out, okay. But what I realized is you're listening for something that we haven't covered. I have a feeling you're listening for something we didn't even get close to. And so when you came in here, you were listening for something, looking for something. Can you tell me what that might be? And they're going to go, huh? I could say, look, when you came in here, you were listening for looking for something. Tell me what that is. So they're going to tell you what they were listening for looking for. And you say, oh, I'm so glad that we were able to sort of rescue this conversation. Can you tell me why 
uh, you were listening for that or looking for that. And then you get them to open up even more. But can you picture how the energy changes from their being oh disengaged? And, yeah. and, then, and then they tell you, and, and then you say, I'm so glad that you told me what you're listening for and why that's important. You know, and th this you have to get comfortable with. You might not be initially, I am because I'm a shrink. <laughs> and, the, and the third question is to say, uh, can you tell me what's really going on? And they're going to pull back. And that's when you say to them, uh, while you're figuring out that answer, if you want to tell me, can I tell you what other investors have told me when I, when I met with them and I've asked them this question? And they're going to be intrigued. And then you look at them, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but more than a couple investors, when I've asked them what's really going on, they've said to me, I need a win. Mm -hmm. And when I've said, what do you mean? They open up to me and they say, I've invested in things that didn't work out that well. And my boss is a little concerned about my judgment. Mm -hmm. And then what you say is, and this is what I say, is I'd like to not only pause in the conversation, tell me not only would be a win, tell me what will guarantee you getting a promotion or raise. Tell me what it looks like. And then what I do, and this is why I seem to have a lot of good relationships with people I can reach out to them. I say, forget about what I'm selling. Let's focus on you getting that promotion or that raise. Tell me what it looks like. Tell me what happens where your boss says, I'm giving you a raise, I'm giving you a promotion. We're both getting promoted. And what happens is you just focus in on that. And there is something I used to do where I would say, you know, I really get it. And I wouldn't buy what I have. If I was you, I wouldn't buy from me and I wouldn't hire me. And they go, what? I said, because from what you told me of what you need to get that win, that'll get you a raise or a promotion. There are three things you need to get taken care of first. And I don't know if you want to take, get them taken care of internally, but I have a great network and I can refer people who can help you take care of those things. But, uh, you know, yeah, I might be able to help, but I'm not a priority if you want to get that raise of promotion. And I remember one person said to me, wait a minute, let me un understand this. You just drove a few hours and we're now talking about me not buying or hiring you. I said, yeah, exactly. You know, because I want you to be successful in the stuff that's more important. And they said, why are you doing that? And, and that you'll like this. I said, because I just sold you on something that's a unicorn. And they said, what's that? I said, I just bought, you just bought trust Bingo. from me. Yep. You trust me and you'll take my call when I call you back as long as I'm dedicated to your success. Yeah. And that's what I'm about. And yeah. where I am in life, uh, I can understand younger people, you know, maybe don't feel that way, but where I am in life and I'm developing this relationship with you is when you just give value mm -hmm. that's totally focused on the other person's success. There are people that are natural born reciprocators. Yeah. They'll just say, you know, we, we got to continue this because they're just so grateful. You're that kind of person. 
you know, and, and I can understand, you know, there are people who may not be reciprocators, but, but I'm just sharing that. So could you follow any of that or track any of that? And is any of that relevant? Mark, uh, I mean, a couple of things here. First, yeah, the, the idea of trust. Everything is a relationship. I mean, that's a, a, a fundamental philosophical bias that I have. Everything has a relationship quality to it in some way, shape or form. And the foundation of every relationship is trust. So the question then becomes, how do I build and sustain high levels of trust so that I've got a good quality relationship? And I came across something the Dalai Lama said not too, well, I don't know when he said it, but I, I came across it not too long ago. And essentially he was saying, you know, trust is formulated around three areas. Uh, and there's a lot of ways we can unbundle this, but intent, agenda, and behavior. And intent has to do with, do you have my well-being? Yeah foremost in your mind as, as we interact. Agenda, whose benefit is this transaction actually going to you know, uh, result in going to? Is it, is it mutual or is it unilateral? And the other one is behavior. Are, are the behaviors consistent with uh, the kind of uh, sense I have and sensibility I have around those other two? So there's an alignment component that comes into play. So, you know, there, as you were talking about it, uh, I was reflecting back on an event that happened. Oh, this is probably 35, 40 years ago, perhaps. I was doing a negotiation in Japan you know, with somebody that I had a pretty good relationship with. And uh, they were selling some of our, you know, as a licensed licensee, they were selling some of the stuff that I had. And we had a little, you know, we we're doing you know, re renegotiating the contract. And we were kind of at loggerheads and you know, we weren't moving very far, very fast. And it had been about three months where we'd just been kind of butting heads, not acrimoniously, but just no movement. And I remember sitting in his office and it struck me that as long as we were both positioned, him on his side of the desk, me on my side of the, on, him on my side of his desk, um, we weren't going to you know, be able to move. And what we ended up doing, and I don't remember which one of us actually made the suggestion, but what we ended up doing was getting up out of our chairs and going over and sitting in the other person's chair and assuming that person's perspective hmm. in the negotiation. And, and we actually knew, so it's about stepping into their world, you know, seeing their world in their way. And all of a sudden his objections and his uh, requests uh, that I was feeling were becoming demands, all of a sudden they made sense to me. It's kind of like, well, of course, if I was him, I would feel the same way. Yeah, three months of loggerheads in, in a half an hour, we had this thing resolved. And with no acrimony, both of us felt you know, like we'd won. Uh, neither one of us felt like we gave up anything. I mean, it was, it was just a fascinating experience. But it, it was about stepping into the other person's world. Well, uh, it sounds like when you did that, you were you were able to immediately identify what he was listening for, for. to get from the negotiation. Yeah, that, that was the trigger. That's what I'm listening for. So I put myself in his shoes. I'm, what's he listening for here? And what's the world and the organization around that? So I, I love the way that you frame that. And... Uh, one of the things that, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to kind of the soul of business. As an entrepreneur, as a business leader, what do you listen for in your organization to give you an indication that the organization is still alive and not running on autopilot? That's an interesting question I think can be explored. And some, you've done a lot of consulting with some fascinating organizations, some of the largest in the world. 
How do you keep them you know, organized around that conversation? Because it is a conversation. Well, let me give you some other takeaways if you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur. So uh, I did this thinking like Steve Jobs. I think I'm going to do it thinking like Elon Musk, although he yeah, might come after me. And you know, we're going uh, to have a conversation about that. And he might hit me. He might hit me with a Tesla or uh, you know a SpaceX thing. But but this might help you frame it uh, because I, I was able to look at the world through other people's eyes, and I did the Steve Jobs thing because this is what Steve Jobs sees. Uh, if you look up, go on the internet and look up Xerox Park, Steve Jobs, National Geographic. Xerox Park, Steve Jobs, National Geographic. And it will take you to a video dramatization of Steve Jobs discovering the graphical user interface and the mouse at Xerox Park. Yep. And if you look at the expression on his face, you will identify four phases and this, by the way, is exactly what an Apple customer feels when they're lined up around the store when a new product used to come out. It's also what a, a, a Tesla customer feels who you don't have to sell, they're on a waiting list. And so, so if you can picture this, and, and, I'll, and, and I'll try and represent it. So in this two minute video, and this is really all you need to know really to think like Steve Jobs. He's there at Xerox Park, his, his arms are crossed because he's a bit of a know-it-all and he's looking and he sees the icons and the mouse. And you see he leans in and his eyes open up and that's, whoa, W-H-O-A, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I, or if it's your marketing material, your customer says, I can't believe what I'm reading or hearing. And then he says to the technician, can I try it? And he sits down and, he, and there's music and he puts his finger on the mouse and the music raises up and he starts to sweat as he sees the screen. That's wow. So woe is I can't believe what I'm seeing, hearing or reading. Wow is this is astonishing, amazing, unbelievable. And you, and you just sort of see it. And then the next part of that little video, Wozniak's there uh, with him visiting Xerox Park. He looks at Wozniak, who's kind of a, you know, sort of a thinker. And that's, and so that phase is, hmm, hmm. And he looks at Wozniak and Wozniak in the video says, when he looked at me, I said, they're not going back. They're not going back to typing. Yeah. As soon as uh, they saw that. So the hmm is, this is too good to ignore. And then at the end of the two-minute video, Walter Isaacson, who wrote one of the books, said they didn't know what to do with this at Xerox Park. But Steve Jobs took it back to Apple and created the Macintosh. And that's, yes, I see what I can do with it. Sold. So if you're listening in or watching this, look at your marketing materials. Yep. Put yourself, like Blaine said, in, in, in the shoes of your market. And are you creating whoa, wow, hmm, yes? Because if you're not, you're creating nah, no thanks, never mind, pass. So that so that's a part of how they think. And then and then I I, I try to give up formulas that you can write down. And I'll tell you, whoa, wow, hmm, yes is a whoa, wow, hmm, yes because I was meeting with David Wan, the CEO of all of Harvard Business Publishing. When I sat down with him, 
He took out a piece of paper. He wrote it down. Whoa, wow, well, well, yes. He didn't even know what I it was. I just did too. Yeah, you just did too. I, I sat down with Art Kleiner at Strategy and Business. He did the same thing. So whoa, wow, well, yes is a whoa, wow, yes. Uh, also, something to, to keep in mind, I'm also a believer in what I call experience near language. Experience near language is when you hear it, you feel it and understand it at the same moment. When it gets too technical, when it gets too, you know, AI, when it gets too much like jargon, that's experience distant language. So you want to use experience near language uh, because when it's experience near, people lean towards it. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the Leadership Mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. And here, okay, and here's another concept. So I'm giving you a few concepts. There's a concept called mental real estate. A friend of mine, Tony Baxter, designed, helped design Disney Paris, Disney Tokyo. And he introduced me to the term. And, 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 and mental real estate is uh, what you want to do is come up with something that's familiar so you get into people's minds because people are overwhelmed. But if you give them something familiar, they lean into it and then you repurpose it. So he said, Pirates of the Caribbean owns the word pirates in the minds of kids. So Disney owns pirates. And here's an example. I, you know, so I told you I had bestsellers and I spoke in Moscow with this fellow Daniel Kahneman. And I said, why are you having me speak? I'm not a Nobel Prize winner. I'm not even an academic. And they said, doctor. His book did not go viral. And that's because my book called Talking to Crazy, which is not bad, you know, how to deal with people that drive you crazy without mental health, uh, but it's good mental real estate. But the Russian edition is called How to Talk to Assholes. And it went viral. I mean, it went viral across the country. Yeah. That's mental real estate. So you want to come up with something that's familiar and then you repurpose it. And the final concept I want to give you, and you're right, we could talk for a long time. Uh, visionary leadership uh, uses the three Ds. There's the three Ds of visionary leadership. I just wrote an article for uh, Newsweek's, uh, I, I'm a founding member of the expert forum there. So this will be coming out in about a month. And it was the three Ds of visionary leadership, which I'm giving you now. And the three Ds are 
you define reality, you declare your intention, you decide strategy. See, those are experience near words. So what does define reality mean? Steve Jobs was also a first-class noticer. That's a term I learned from my late mentor, Warren Bennis. Be a first-class noticer. Noticing means you connect with whatever you're looking at or seeing, and it's much less, it's not passive, like seeing, watching, looking. When you notice, you connect. So Steve Jobs was a first-class noticer, and what he noticed and how he defined reality was, you know, there's a lot of people who think computing is just for geeks. But one day, everybody's going to have a computer on their desk, and they're going to love it. So he defined reality. One day, uh, people are going to have a computer, a personal computer. And then he declared his intention. There's also something you should look up. It's a funny little video. If you look up Vanity Fair, Johnny Ive, that's J-O-N-Y-I-V-E. And he talks about the biggest lesson that Steve Jobs taught him, and this has to do with declaring intention. It's about focus. And so Johnny Ive says, Steve Jobs was the most focused person. And he one day asked me, you know, what does focus mean? And Johnny, uh, Johnny Ive and his British accent was fumbling around. And Steve Jobs told him, no, that's not what focus is. Focus is when you wake up in the morning and you come up with the best idea. I mean, every cell in your body loves it. It goes all the way to your DNA. You can taste it and you say no to it. Mm -hmm. He said, that's focus. That's intention. And then deciding strategy, uh, you know, what are the steps that you need to follow? And in the article, what I talk about is this, what, what should lead every strategy? And you need to be honest with your people. Uh, we need to make money. If we don't make money, uh, uh, I'm not gonna be able to pay you what I promised you. You're not gonna get the bonus. Uh, we're not gonna be able to satisfy our investors. So let's just make that clear. Whatever we do, it has to make money and I need your help with that. The second thing it needs to do is we need to create uh, product services that whoa wow yes anybody who tries them yeah. they have to exceed everybody's high expectations and then the third part of a strategy is you need to attract the best the brightest the most talented to make it happen and I will tell you if you come up with a journey into the future mm-hmm. like the Apollo moon mission the Apollo moon mission got a lot of feisty uh, you know, aeronautical engineers to cooperate because they got to be part of the future. Yes. And so when you put those together, that should lead your strategy and then you can figure out the other things. So define reality, declare your intention, decide strategy. Yep. Yeah, the, the, that whole defining the future piece, moving possibility into reality. As far as I can tell, that's essentially what a good leader does mm-hmm. is that they actually frame a reality that isn't tangibly present today as a possibility. And, you know, the, the whole reality distortion field that uh, Jobs is credited with, you know, manifesting, you know, you know, you're around him and all of a sudden you believe it's there and you look up and you can't believe it's not there. What happened? And that ownership transference has, has occurred. And then we just kind of go out and we start cooking with gas. And uh, what, what's because if you can define something like here, 
here, here's an ask that I'm gonna ask to your viewers. So my mission in life is to not only help all of you watching, but my mission is to prevent suicides in teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, it looks like I'm gonna do a global Zoom call to EO uh, to people who are worried about a depressed teenager. And so part of my way of defining reality for that mission and anyone who can connect me with other people who want to see, you know, a presentation, how to get your kid to open up. So the way I define reality is it looks like suicides on the rise. Looks like it's on the rise across all demographics, you know, all races, all genders. And, uh, and something I discovered uh, or I utilized enabled me to see suicidal patients for 25 years and none of them killed themselves. And so I'm defining reality, suicides on the rise. <clears throat> My intention is I wanna leave the world saving as many lives as I can. You lose, a, you lose a child to suicide, your life's never the same again. And then my strategy, well, I guess as I'm trying that right now, as I'm trying to elicit people will say, you know, it was very interesting what you said about entrepreneurs and the whoa, wow, whatever. But, you know, uh, yeah, count me in. Count me in. So, yeah. so that'd be great. Where do people find out about that, Mark? Well, <clears throat> if you look up Team Mental Health Webinar, a video, you may have to look through them. Uh, a, a serial entrepreneur named Jason Reed reached out to me because two years ago, his 14-year-old son killed himself mm -hmm. and he reached out to me <clears throat> because he knows uh, of my interest in that and he did a gold cast video and gold cast videos are often seen by millions and his gold cast video was seen by nine million people <clears throat> and uh, so the teen mental health webinar re reposts his, his video for gold cast and so you can see the nine minute video where he spoke to I think a dozen male founders and he basically said it's my fault that my son killed himself because i'm the dad i don't share problems i'm an entrepreneur i don't share when i'm afraid of anything and i give solutions and basically he was saying i made it impossible for my son to open up to me because i gave him solutions yeah. and he left the passcode and one of his suicide notes was his passcode he'd been looking for ways to kill himself for three months and uh, so it's, it's a riveting nine minutes, but then the next 25 minutes is a video of me giving tips to parents. You worried about one of your kids? This is how you get them to open up. So team mental health webinar, you'll find that. I also do a documentary called Stay Alive, an intimate conversation about suicide prevention where I interviewed Kevin Hines who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and if you go to truly, T-R-U-L-I dot com, stay alive, you can see the whole documentary. And there's a haunting music video that every time I watch it, you know, maybe I just can relate to the pain inside people that I try to lessen. It just, it just grabs you. And then, of course, go to my website, markgulston.com, because uh, I'm always posting stuff that I'm up to and that I'm passionate about. Great. Folks, I hope you have uh, been as impressed as I knew I was going to be in this conversation. I, and I use the word impressed, not in a light, facetious way at all. Um, you know, Mark, uh, you are an absolute jewel. Um, 
And I, I'd love to be able to call you friend. I, I truly do. And I look forward to deepening and quickening, you know, what we're up to. Uh, and I am going to have you back on the show, kicking and screaming, uh, <laughs> one way or another, we'll get it scheduled. Uh, cause there's just so much rich richness and depth to what you bring. Um, and I, I want to just thank you. Uh, you're a blessing and, uh, I, I don't know where else to go from there. So <laughs> I'm humbled to be in your presence right now. Thank you very much. And I mean that very sincerely. Well, you know, Warren Bennis was uh, one of my last winter, uh, uh, mentors. And he used to give me some pretty good compliments. And I would get neurotic on him. He would give me a compliment. And I'd say, oh, well, look, it was my pleasure. You don't have to say that. And he said, Mark, Mark, there's two words when someone gives you a compliment and two words only. Thank you. Because if you go off on another tangent, the person's going to think you're high maintenance. You can't even accept the compliment. So what <laughs> I will say to you simply is thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. You've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am Blaine Bartlett. My guest, uh, guest today has been Mark Golston, Dr. Mark Golston. And um, you can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. Uh, you know, all of that good kind of stuff. So uh, until next time. Thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next, uh, next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.